All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial with Frank Graney, a News Talk original podcast. A woman in her 20s has died following an assault in County Offaly. The incident happened along the canal bank at Cappenker in Tullamore at around four o'clock this afternoon. Breaking news, the arrest made on suspicion of murder of Ashling Murphy, the school teacher. Joseph Puska of Linali Grove, Mukla County Offaly, appeared before a special sitting of Tullamore District Court last night. On the afternoon of the 12th of January last year, Ashley Murphy, a 23-year-old school teacher, was killed while out for a run along the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore. Josef Pushka, a Slovakian man who was living at Lenali Grove in Mukla County Offaly at the time, is on trial for her murder. He has pleaded not guilty. I'm Frank Rainey, courts correspondent for News Talk. And I'm Ashling Moore, radio producer. I'll be in the Central Criminal Court for every minute of the Ashley Murphy murder trial. And every evening, we'll bring you a factual, accurate and balanced account of what the jury hears on any given day. And only what the jury hears. It's their job to decide on the facts of this case, and they'll do so based only on the evidence presented to them at trial. This is All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Welcome to episode four, 12 Sharp Wounds. And before we go on, we should say that this episode contains some very graphic details about post-mortem evidence, which may be distressing. So listener discretion is advised. So lots of Garda witnesses called today. The jury heard from the first responders who performed CPR on Ashling, as well as a crime scene investigator from the Garda Technical Bureau. They also heard from a civilian witness who was described seeing a man cycling along the canal on the afternoon Ashling was attacked. But first, let's talk about the evidence presented by the doctor who carried out the post-mortem on Ashling's body. Frank, it sounds like the jury heard a huge amount of detail in relation to that. That's right. Um, Not that unusual that a huge amount of detail will be put to a jury uh, in a murder trial in relation to post-mortem evidence. And indeed, it took most of the afternoon session for the state pathologist, Dr. Sally-Anne Collis, to present her findings. Such was the level of detail, I suppose, uh, contained in her report. Post-mortem evidence is always very difficult because it's so clinical. You know, a pathologist like Dr. Collis is asked to examine every part of a victim's body from head to toe, inside and out. So there's a huge amount of detail in relation to human remains. Um, Juries hear a lot of medical jargon during post-mortem evidence, and it's devoid of emotion, which can be quite jarring when you consider how difficult it must be for the families of victims to hear that type of evidence. But of course, it has to be because all juries, including the one trying this case, are warned to approach the evidence in a cold and dispassionate way. Uh, emotion and sympathy have no place when it comes to the work of a jury in criminal trials. So Dr. Collis performed uh, the post-mortem on Ashley Murphy. This was the day after her body was discovered in that ditch along the Grand Canal in Tullamore. And before she carried out her examination, um, and this happens with, with every post-mortem examination, she was told a number of things uh, by the Garda investigation team. Uh, she was told that Ashley was 23 years of age. Uh, she was told that she was a teacher. Uh, she was given a little bit of detail about how she went exercising along the canal after she finished work that day, um, where the assault happened, uh, how the alarm was raised, what happened when 
Gardaí arrived, we heard that um, Ashley's death was formally pronounced by another doctor uh, at the scene at 5.51 p.m. Uh, that evening. So a little over two hours after the prosecution claims uh, that she was murdered. Um, the pathologist was told that she had open wounds to the neck area, a possible ligature mark. Uh, she was told there was a thick scarf under her head. Um, she was uncertain if it was if it was Ashley's scarf or if it was maybe placed there in an attempt to help her. But in any event, she said it had soaked up an awful lot of the blood. Um, there was some blood visible on uh, twigs, uh, sticks and, and some moss in the area. Again, these were all details that she was told before she carried out her examination. She also received photographs of Ashley Murphy's body at the scene. Now, these were not made available to uh, the jury today. She simply told them that um, she received those photographs from the Garth investigation team. Uh, and when she was asked in relation to any jewellery that she was wearing, she said that she was wearing uh, a necklace and that she had a clad a ring on her right hand. And she went into a little bit more detail about what um, Ashton was wearing uh, before she carried out that post-mortem. She described her wearing a green and blue tracksuit top. She had uh, a camogie club top on, KK. Uh, and we heard, heard a little bit about that from another witness. And I might talk about that a, a little bit more detail later. But she said in relation to that top, she had uh, blood staining over it. Uh, she said she had blue leggings, a white T-shirt, which was heavily blood stained, grey ankle socks. Um, um, a little bit more detail about that jewellery, a yellow metal necklace with a pendant that read uh, Ashling. And she said she also had a smartwatch, which appeared to have uh, run out of uh, battery. At first glance, she, she said there were twigs, uh, brambles and foliage in Ashling's hair, which she described as heavily matted. She said she had long blonde hair. She was 161 centimetres in height. She had blue or grey eyes. Uh, she said that she had pink nail varnish on her toenails, and she described how there was dirt and blood under her fingernails. She then gave a very detailed rundown of, of the marks and the injuries that she found on, on Ashley's body. Again, this was an examination from head to toe. That's why it took so long for her to present her report to the juries today. There was an awful lot in it. And I won't go into those injuries in any great detail, uh, but she did say that she found 11 stab wounds to the right side of Ashley Murphy's neck and one incised lateral wound. Did she explain the difference between those two types of wounds? She did. Helpfully, she said that if the depth of a wound is greater than its length, it's considered a stab wound. But if its length is greater than its depth, it's a lateral wound. For example, um, if a knife is drawn across the surface of the skin, leaving a mark but not going particularly deep, that would be considered an incised lateral wound. And that was the example that was that was put to the doctor by the prosecuting barrister, um, Ms. Anne-Marie Lawler, who was you know, bringing her through her direct evidence and going through her report again in that great detail. The incised wound found on the right side of Ashley's neck, we heard, was nine centimetres in length and half a centimetre deep. Okay. And what else did she have to say about Ashling's injuries? Was there any evidence of defensive type wounds? She described some marks on Ashley Murphy's hands, particularly her fingers, which she said may have been defensive in nature. She said she may have held her hands up to try and protect herself, may have caught the blade uh, causing those injuries. She did give a bit more detail about um, about the stab wounds that caused the most damage. She had labelled them and she went through them all uh, individually in, in great detail. Um, she described how 
Ashleen Murphy's jugular vein had been nicked and she described that and pointed to the various locations where she found these stab wounds for the benefit of the jury throughout her evidence and she she described the jugular vein as the one you can feel in your neck and and she said she noticed some damage there she said it hadn't been completely torn um, but there was a nick and she likened it to to a hose and she said that that nick would have allowed blood to flow out of the structure um, she also described another nick in an artery in her neck and she said that that um, uh, one of the wounds had gone from the right side to the neck and had, had, had damaged the voice box it had gone through the left side of her neck and she said that this would have meant that Ashley wouldn't have been able to make an audible sound at that point those injuries she said resulted in a lot of blood loss which would have led to cardio uh, respiratory arrest and and she was asked what could have caused those injuries and she said a knife or knives or a sim- similar implement uh, mo- most likely with a single edged blade she said um she went on she said it wasn't possible to completely exclude compression to the neck pressure to the neck um she said that she's always concerned about pressure when it comes to neck injuries but it wasn't possible to say uh, that there was also pressure to the neck due to the the bleeding and the damage in that particular area and under cross-examination, she was pushed in that point again. Again, she said she couldn't completely exclude the possibility of strangulation, but she concluded that Ashley had died from uh, the stab wounds to her neck. That was the cause of death, according to her and her examination. And and given the fact that all of the stab wounds were to the right side of Ashley's neck, as I say, it was put to her again under cross-examination by Mr. Pushka's barrister, Michael Bowman, that a right-handed person would naturally strike to the opposite side of the neck the left-hand side, and she agreed, but she said that was provided they were both uh, facing each other. Um, when her cross-examination had concluded then, the prosecuting barrister, Ms. Anne-Marie Lawler, uh, took the opportunity to re-examine her, and she asked her about that point, the question that Mr. Bowman had raised, or the possibility of you know, a naturally right-handed person uh, striking to the opposite side of, of a person's neck. And she said that an attack such as this would be quite dynamic, was how she put it. She outlined how Ashley's head may have been to one side, or the blade may have moved, or that side of her neck may have have been exposed. So it took the doctor maybe an hour and a half more possibly to go through all of her evidence. The jury also heard about the attempts to resuscitate Ashling at the scene with a couple of local guards taking turns at chest compressions. One of them thought she might have had a faint pulse. Uh, that's right. Um, and that evidence was given by the first guard on the scene, Garda uh, Tom Dunn. Um, but he said he wasn't he wasn't sure if there was a pulse. He said that a colleague um, ha- had asked, a colleague who was at the scene had asked if he could find uh, a pulse. And he said that he wasn't sure. But if there was, he said it was was quite faint. He was the one who actually took the 999 call. Um, we heard evidence yesterday and we spoke about this in the last episode of the podcast, the evidence of Enda Malloy, the cyclist who went back down the canal after meeting a number of concerned people on the canal had cycled down and he was the person who discovered uh, Ashley's body. He called Tullamore Garda station. It was Garda Tom Dunn who picked up the phone. Um, he described taking this call. He said the caller was was panicked, wasn't making a whole pile of sense was how he put it to the jury today. Um, but he could tell from his panic that something was up. He was talking about an incident on the canal and he said that he just tried to establish exactly where he was. And once he put down the phone, he said he ran upstairs to the detective's office and he told them what had happened. He was seeking assistance. We also heard then later from one of the detectives who was in that room when he went in, a detective sergeant, David Scattle. Uh, he described how Gartha Dunn came in the door of the detective's branch. Uh, he said that he believed an assault had happened out at Cap and Kerr. This was a, along the Grand Canal. 
in Tullamore. Um, he said that he sent three cars uh, out in convoy uh, to the scene and he also uh, went with them. Uh, on the way then, he said that um, he saw uh, a number of women, uh, one of whom was Jenna Stack, who was known to him. And you may remember uh, Jenna Stack uh, from her evidence uh, yesterday. She was the one who described hearing those noises from the hedge and the description she gave of a man crouching over and leaning over a girl who was lying on the ground. And he said that Jenna saw him. Um, he slowed down. Uh, she was pointing to where the patrol car was in in front of them. That she, he, he described her and the other women as panicked. Uh, Jenna was shouting at him. Um, he, she was in an agitated state. She kept calling Dave, Dave, Dave. At three forty five, then he said he got out of his patrol car. Um, this was down at the ditch where Ashley's body was found. He said he saw his colleagues guard the Tom Dunn and a guard, the Hunter, who were ahead of them. They were the first guard to arrive in the scene. He said they were in a hedge on the right-hand side, a very thick edge was how he described it, full of brambles. And he said he saw a thorn bush. Um, he said guard, the Dunn, was on a lower level. Um, it was below his feet, maybe six feet below um, the towpath on the canal. He said his colleague, Tom Dunn, uh, was kneeling down the hedge, and he could see that he was performing CPR on this woman who was lying on the ground. And he said he knew it was a woman because of her of her leggings. He could see that she had blonde hair. He, at this point, rang 999. This was shortly after they arrived at the scene, 3.46 p.m. precisely. Um, he said he wanted to see if an ambulance was on the way. He was told it was. He gave them precise uh, directions to their location. He then con- uh, contacted his own superintendent. Um, he described how his two colleagues continued to do CPR. They were taking turns, doing chest compressions. They were doing the best they could do. Paramedics arrived then a short time later. They took control of the the, the situation. We heard uh, a decision was made to bring Ashley's body up onto the footpath. So they, the Gardaí, helped the paramedics in, in bringing her up um, from that ditch. And he said that when they were bringing her out of the ditch, he noticed that there was an awful lot of blood. He said that her hair was very matted with blood. And he said that one thing that stuck with him was how her mouth was wide, wide open. Um, he said that he saw cuts uh, on her neck. There was a slice on her neck. Um, he could see her clothing. He was asked to describe them. And he mentioned again this KK top. He, he knew it to be her local camogie club or a local camogie club. Um, described leggings. He said that she didn't have any shoes on, um, but he did see some blue runners in, in a hedge. There was also a black jacket in that hedge. He noticed some dark sunglasses on the edge of a footpath and a pink bobble hat. And just to the left of where she was, he said, was a bicycle with big green forks on it. The paramedics had a defibrillator with them. Uh, that was there beside her. Uh, but he said that her body at this stage was limp. And again, he just remembered, and he said this for a second time in his evidence today, um, he said that he just remembered her mouth being wide open. Um, he referenced the necklace that was that was around her neck. He said it was gold, it said Ashling. Um, he noted the wounds to her neck. He said that she was wearing a scarf. Um, he remembered her hair. He, he described that there were lots of different, different shades of blood. There was lots of brambles in her hair. Again, her hair was very matted. Uh, he didn't know where the injuries were, but he did know that they were significant. At this point, then, he said that he tried to contact Jenna Stack. Again, he would have met him on his way to the scene. And as he said in his evidence, 
he knew her and he decided to try and call her because she had told him uh, that she was the one who had called it in. She couldn't get a hold of him. He also knew her husband. So he rang him and he was told that um, Jenna didn't have her phone out with her. And that was something that Jenna said in her evidence yesterday. She was out for a run with her friend, Aoife Marin, and neither of them had their phones with them. But her husband over the phone gave Detective Sergeant Scal a description of the man she saw on the hedge, described him as a foreigner because of the way that she's, that he spoke to her, um, described him as having sallow skin, brown eyes, thick bushy eyebrows, facial hair. And she said that um, she told her husband, and this then was relayed on to Detective Sergeant Scal, that he was kind of bald to the front of her head. Now, while Detective Sergeant Scal was getting all of this information, he was relaying it to a colleague, a Gartha Andrew Dolan, who was beside him. Gartha Dolan then in turn was conveying it to his colleagues over um, the radio. He was hoping to reach out to colleagues in the area and he was letting them know that this was the description of a potential suspect. And an arrest was made on the back of that description, but it wasn't Josef Pushka. Yes, an arrest was made. And no, it wasn't Josef Pushka. Um, Garda Andrew Nolan um, took the stand himself and he described that scenario whereby Detective Sergeant Scahill was on the phone beside him and he was relaying the description of the suspect to him, which he then in turn was relaying over the radio to Garda units in the area. He was working off a description that this person was male, foreign, dark eyes, balding, shaved head, and he thought a stocky was included in that um, very brief description. He said himself that he arrived at the scene at about 3.46 in the afternoon. He arrived with his colleague, Detective Garda, Shane Jennings. He was part of this three-car convoy that went down from Tullamore Garda Station. And he said that when he heard that description that was being relayed to him by Detective Sergeant Scal, he thought of a person who may be of interest. So he rang another colleague of his, uh, Detective Garda, Colin O'Leary, and he said that he just voiced his opinion that maybe he should call to that house that the description of this person was similar to a man known to him. We heard that a man was arrested. Um, he was taken to Tullamore Garda station. He was there when um, this Garda uh, arrived at the scene at about 18 minutes past eight, or when I say he arrived at the scene, he arrived back at Tullamore Garda station, Garda Andrew Dolan, that is. Um, and he was the name of this person who was arrested was said in, in open court today. I don't think there's any need to uh, repeat it here. Uh, safe to mm. say that it was not Josef Pushka. Finally, then, the jury also heard from a woman who was out for a walk along the canal on the afternoon Ashling was killed. What did she say about a man that she spotted on a bike? This um, was a woman called Emma Doyle and Emma Doyle's name has already been mentioned to the jury uh, through the evidence of um, Jenna Stack. Um, we heard that she had been working that day, that her parents um, lived along the canal, that she was visiting uh, them uh, that afternoon. She said she took her dog out for a walk at, at some stage. She said that um, when she went out for a walk, she decided to go down some dirt track because she had she had met two ladies standing at the bridge. They had a dog. She had a dog. Her dog isn't very good, she said, with other dogs. So she went up that um, that dirt track, uh, but she said it was quite mucky. So she turned around and she started walking back down the canal. And when she did, she said that she encountered um, a pedestrian and a cyclist on what she described as the dangling side of the Digby Bridge 
on the path side. She said um, she passed a man on a bicycle and she said that when she started walking, there was nobody on that side of the canal, but that a lady then came around the corner and she said there was a man behind her and she described how they were close together. Um, She said that this man was uh, cycling on a bicycle um, and and she thought at first and she wasn't sure that maybe they were together, uh, but she said that shortly after he came around the corner that he then cycled um, past her. She was asked if she could tell the jury anything about that bicycle. She said that it was neon green on, on the front and she said the handlebars were straight. She was asked about the cyclist, if she had a description of him. Um, she said that he was wearing a black tracksuit top um, and she said that she thought it had a red logo on the chest area. She described his um, uh, his tracksuit bottoms as dark and she said that he had a tight crew cut, a slight stubble, a sallow skin and striking unusual eyes. Um, real light, pale eyes was how she described it. The prosecuting barrister then asked her if she could tell her anything about this person. She said she she didn't think that he was Irish. She said that he passed her. He said hello. She said hello. And she kept going. And not long after that, then uh, she described how Jenna Stack and Aoife Marin, and again, they were the two women that the jury heard from yesterday who were out for a run and stumbled upon what Jenna described as that terrifying scene uh, along the canal. And she said that the next thing she knew Uh, They were knocking on her door and they were saying that a girl had been attacked uh, down the canal. That's it for episode four of All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Tomorrow, the jury is expected to be shown CCTV footage. I'm Frank Rainey, Courts Correspondent for News Talk. I'll be in court every day and you can follow me on X at Frank Rainey for updates. And make sure you follow this podcast, All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial for an impartial and comprehensive account of what happens in court on any given day. All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial was hosted by Frank Graney and Ashling Moore with sound design by Lachlan Hart. Follow the podcast on Newstalk.com on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud or wherever you get your podcasts.